Yeah, so as Katie said, my name is Matt. Uh, it's such a privilege and an honor to get to speak to you guys today. Uh, I'm normally out in the youth at this point, so it's nice to be in for a preach, even if it is my own one. Um, but yeah, so I, as I said, I help lead the youth here, uh, help run the older youth. I'm also part of the facilities team. So if you see any dodgy maintenance work around the building, that's probably me. Um, I'm married to my amazing wife, Charlotte, uh, for nearly four years. Uh, and we actually started a new diet this week. Um, we basically cut out everything, it feels like. We've gone to veg, fruits, some meats. Um, our fridge, you open our fridge and it's just green. It looks more like a garden, I think, than a fridge. But um, There have been some serious side effects as well. So fatigue, dizziness, confusion has been my biggest one for me. I was, I was even practicing this in the week and as I was reading the words, my eyes were looking at the words, but my mouth was saying different words and it was... It was quite impressive, actually. So um, who knows what I might say this morning. But no, I'm, I'm slowly feeling the effects wear off. But I'm born and bred from Southampton. I grew up in a church quite similar to this. And I started to teach myself guitar when I was 12 and started leading worship at about 14 uh, in our youth group. And honestly, it was amazing, but it started to become a bit of my identity. And people would introduce me to other people as Matt, the worship leader. This is Matt, he leads worship. And I found that my relationship with God... Um, started to be based hugely around me leading worship. And this went on for years, and it wasn't until about three or four years ago, really, that I felt God say that he wanted to take me from being a worship leader to being a worshiper. And I feel like I'm just still scratching the surface, but it's been an incredible few years of falling in love with Jesus all over again. And the cross has been central in that journey, and I'm going to talk about the cross today. Uh, and so I'm excited to share some of this with you today. And there's so much we could talk about when we talk about the cross. But I want us to look at the love of God through the cross, God's forgiveness that is available through the cross. And then what is it all for? How can our lives be shaped through these things the cross has to offer? Sound good? Awesome. Awesome. Why don't we pray to start with? Just love us just to become aware of who it is that we are speaking to when we pray that. I don't want to pray just to transition, but to you. Sometimes I can pray like this and I find I don't actually speak to God. I just do it because to transition for something like that. So I just love us to become aware of who it is that we get to speak to right now. Dear God, we thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are the God of the universe. You breathe the stars into existence. That your ways are higher than ours. Your thoughts are higher than ours. Who is mankind that you are mindful of them. And yet you lavished your love upon us by giving us your son. Thank you, Jesus. And I just pray for every person listening right now that you would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation that they may know you better. You would open the eyes of their hearts, Lord God, to hear your word. Lord Jesus, would you open our eyes to the magnitude of the cross, to what you have done and what it means for us, the hope and the joy that we have as we sung about this morning, because what you have done at the cross, we praise you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So my first point is the love of the cross. And we're going to look at John 3.16. Um, I know it's a classic one, but I feel like it's gotten so big, almost sometimes we lose the power of it because it's easy to say it without actually realizing what it means. So why don't we all say it together? For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know, it's easy to tell when someone's in love. You can tell when they're mad about someone, maybe with their spouse or their child or their dog. When you are truly in love with someone, you'll go to any length to be with that person slash pet. You'll drive for hours to be together. You'll stay up to the early hours to talk. Suddenly your bank account is empty, but you don't care because you just want to spend it all on them. Walking in the rain is romantic, not annoying. It feels like the end of the world when you're apart from each other and they're all you can think about. Would I be crazy to say that this is how God sees you? That he would go to any length to be with you? That he is anticipating you waking up in the morning so he can talk with you? That he is thinking about you right now and he has emptied the heavenly bank accounts for you? The love that God has for us is unlike anything we've ever known. The fact that he would sacrifice his one and only son for a broken and sinful person like me is unfathomable. But it doesn't just end there. His love is unconditional, meaning that I don't have to meet a certain standard or requirement to be accepted by or loved by him. I just have to bring myself and he'll do the rest. He actually loved me before I even knew he existed. And last night, Charlotte was on the phone to her grandparents and if you know them, you'll know that they're the kind of people that everyone just loves and adores because they just make you feel so loved. And whenever you're with them, they just encourage you. If you ever need to pick me up, give them a call because uh, they're just amazing. And uh, last night, as Charlotte was speaking with them, I could overhear them saying how much they love her and all the reasons why. And when she got off the phone, she just began to cry because she realized how much they loved her. She said, I've heard it a thousand times, but... It's just sinking in how much I'm loved. And then part that got me is that she said, and I just think about God, how much more is his love for me? How much more? Why don't you think about now maybe someone who maybe has told you how much they love you. Maybe it's a spouse or a parent. Maybe um, it was when you were a child growing up and a friend told you how much they loved you. Why don't you just think about that for a minute? And then just think, but God, how much more does he love me? The foundation of who God is and his thoughts about you is love. And the second part of this verse says, whoever believes, God's love doesn't discriminate, but it's an offer that's open to all who will come. And the way I want to describe this today is if you take the, the picture, the symbol of the cross, you can see three of them up there. You've got the, the width and the height. Uh, the horizontal and the vertical. Uh, and to the width of the cross, it reaches into every corner of the earth, into Asia, into Russia, into Europe, and all the nations of the world. There's no limit to who can receive the love and power of the cross. And there's no limit to the depth of the cross. Reaching into the darkest, deepest pits, into the most evil and vile places you could imagine. Into the drug dens, into the murderers and rapists and terrorists, offering new life and redemption. One of the fathers of our faith was a man who used to kill Christians. But then God called Saul and said, I'm going to use you to bring my kingdom into the darkest places on earth. One encounter with God and it changed everything. And we're going to have a chance to respond a bit later. And I believe God is going to encounter some of you today with his love. And also just on a side note, for those who maybe are waiting to get right with God, you're waiting for that encounter, I want to say don't. Because it's a relationship that he wants. 
I believed a lie for years that my testimony wasn't good enough. I'd grown up in church and nurtured my relationship with God from a young age. And that's a beautiful thing. But at 18, I started hearing stories of people who had been in the deepest pit and then one miraculous encounter changed everything. And I hadn't had that. I wasn't in a great place at the time. And so I went out and I tried to backslide. So I, what, I would have, what I thought would be a great story to tell. And I'm proud to say that lasted for two weeks and I didn't get very far. But as I look back now, over the years, I've seen how God has moved in my life in a beautiful way. There have been encounters that have changed me. And I'll talk about that a bit later. But there's also been a constant communion with him that has been the most defining moments for me. So to those who, like me, have maybe grown up in church and you feel like you need a better story to tell, don't believe that lie. Or this defining angel shining light, light moment. Yes, that can happen. But there's so much beauty in the relationship in the fidelity of your walk with God that no one sees. Pursue him, not a story, and the story will tell itself. And your testimony is powerful because it's your story of your walk with God, and no one can take that away. But I also want to say to those who maybe feel like you're in the deepest, darkest pit right now, that there is a God who loves you and can change your life forever in a moment. Because it's a relationship he wants. That this all-powerful, all-knowing God all loving God, wants to know you and for you to know him. That's it. That's his will, that we can do all things in his name. We can start a business. We could go to a great uni, pursue our dream career, raise a family. But do we know him? Do we know him as he is and who he is? Anyway, back to our analogy of the height of the width of the cross. So there's no limit to the height of the cross, extending into the heavens up before the throne of God. You know, we have scientists exploring and finding new planets and new solar systems and extending their research further and further into the depths of space, but they will never outgrow the magnitude of God's universe. They will never reach heaven. And that's how far the cross reaches, to the mercy seat of Christ, that one day we will stand before him. And when he sees you, if you have accepted Christ, he will not see your sin or your brokenness. He will see the cross of his son. And you will enter into eternal life and his judgment will pass over you. The cross is about love. A love that you can never outgrow. God gave his son and he didn't hold back, but he gave his very best for you. And number two, we're going to look at the forgiveness of the cross. And for this, I want to look at Psalms 130, verse 3 to 4. It says this, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. It's a hot and dry day. Dust fills the air from the road that is now filled either side with hecklers shouting abuse and people passing by wondering what crime this man has committed. Amongst the shouting and the chaos, I heard sounds of weeping from those who thought this man was the chosen one, the Messiah. What about his teachings and his miracles? He said he was the son of God. Now look at him. Was it all a lie? The thoughts wandering through their minds as they watch him being led to his execution. And Roman soldiers lead the way with intimidation and brute force as they make their way through the crowds, followed by the blooded and beaten criminal they had just tortured, now dragging along the road his own cross that his body was about to be hung from. And with blood dripping down from his head, you can see his strength failing, barely being able to take another step. 
As he passes by, there are looks of horror and shock from those he can now see his back, filled with blood and hardly any skin left to show from the flogging he had just endured. A gruesome and humiliating punishment that was given to those only who had committed the worst crimes. Only this man had committed no crime. And with his companions dispersed because of his wounds, and those who wanted to kill him now had him in the grasp of their hands, evil seemed to have taken victory. And as they approached the place where he was about to be crucified, exhausted and in excruciating pain from the last few hours of torture, Jesus still has the grace and the audacity to pray, Father, forgive them. At the foot of the cross is where we find forgiveness. And as we fast forward 2,000 years or so, that prayer has been echoed throughout history for every sinner who repents. Forgiveness is the prayer at the foot of the cross. I don't know about you, but I struggle to pray if I've even missed a meal. And Jesus' first thought as he approaches his execution station is not for his own sake, but for the sake of others. But not just anyone. Not for his close friends who had abandoned him or his family, but for his very enemies. The forgiveness was available for the people who were killing him then, and it's a forgiveness that is available for you and I today. In fact, it goes one step further because it says that God keeps no record of it. The slate is wiped clean. We know what will happen to those who stand before God with a record of all their sin, but somehow when we repent and turn to God through the cross, we can stand before him and look back and find no record anywhere of our sin that we're clean, and there's no one too far gone to experience the forgiveness of Christ. Doesn't matter who you are or who you've been or what you've done, there is forgiveness available for everyone. It's the reason Jesus came. There was a man called James Nelson, and this is his story. There was a young Scottish lad called Jimmy. He was a good boy in school and had lots of potential but he would come home to a drunk and abusive mother. Most of his nights were filled with being abused and walking on eggshells trying not to upset his drunk mum. This went on for years, and by the time Jimmy was in his early 20s, it all became too much, and in a drunken rage, he killed his own mother. Jimmy went to prison for nine years, and in that time met Jesus and his forgiveness and began to serve him. When he came out of prison, he was a changed man and even became a minister in the Church of Scotland, the forgiveness of God. No one is out of his reach. And you might be here thinking, well, what do I need forgiveness for? You know, I'm not as bad as Jimmy. But it's sin. Sin entered the world in the garden with Adam and Eve when they chose to rebel against God. And so we are in need of a savior, someone to make us right with God. And as a drug addict turned Christ follower who came from the drug dens in Hong Kong puts it this way, Sin is going your own way. Sin is going your own way. When I read that, it was like a light bulb moment for me. Of course, sin's going your own way. And I've been reading through the Old Testament and the story of Israel becoming a nation and then being led into exile. And so we have the promise uh, to Abraham that God would give him the land and then the victory of King David who made Jerusalem its capital and then the presence of God in the temple and the priests who maintain the rituals of Israel's worship and then after 500 years of all this wealth and history it was all destroyed by the Babylonians who took them away into exile and when you read about that 500 year period leading up to that point 
and all the different kings who led that nation, there's one thing that keeps popping up. One thing that God keeps warning them about. And it's sin. Now this was the people who God led out of Egypt, away from slavery, through the Red Sea and fed them manna from heaven and gave them everything they ever needed, even his very presence. But they kept worshipping other gods and going their own way. They refused to turn and repent and change their ways and so God's judgment fell on them and they were taken away into exile. And it's a picture of what's to come. That Jesus is coming back for his bride and there is a coming judgment on this world because of sin. That we will stand before God to give a testament of what we did with the years he gave us. But because of the cross, we now have a way out of God's coming judgment. An escape from exile and into paradise. Because it wasn't only the physical torture Jesus endured, but also the weight of every sin was placed upon him in that moment. You see, some say it was the Romans who killed him, but really it was us. Our sin was the reason Jesus went to the cross, and he carried it so that you and I don't have to. We can stand before God forgiven and without shame. I recently had a conversation with a guy, and I just felt like I needed to apologize for some stuff that had come up that I'd said to him in the past. And so we were having this conversation about something else. And the whole time, all I could think about was, how do I bring this up? You know, you know when your heart starts to pound and you get quite sweaty and, you, you know, your palms are all sweaty and you're not even listening to what they're saying anymore? Just me? Okay. But eventually I plucked up the courage and I began to apologize for X, Y, Z. And he was taken back a little bit and even said, oh, no, you didn't need to apologize. But, but then he said, but I forgive you. And instantly I felt like this weight just lift off of me and like a lightness and a joy. And I felt the relief from actually apologizing to him. But when he said those words, it was a different kind of relief. I realized I've been carrying this shame about it for years. And when he said, I forgive you, it lifted off. And maybe you're here today and you feel like you're carrying shame or like a weight on your shoulders from your past. Well, I want to say that Jesus is here and he's saying, I forgive you and your past is wiped clean and you can get right with him today. And number three, we are forgiven so that. In the second half of the, the Psalms verse, it says, but with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. Other versions say, so that you may be feared. And so we've talked about sin and God's love, and we've spoken about forgiveness, but what's it all for? It's not so that we can go on with our own lives as normal, but so that while we are still on the earth, we may fear God. And when I talk about fearing God, it's not like being afraid of something like someone might be a flying, but it's a holy reverence, an awe at who God is. It's a relationship with him. It looks like trembling before him, walking in obedience to him, loving and serving him with everything you have. And honestly, that's the pocket where life has true purpose and true freedom. When I was about 19, I started to have these encounters with God where whenever someone would talk about the power or the glory of God, I would just begin to feel his presence in an amazing way. I would tremble, I would cry. And I remember once we went around someone's house and um, I had my guitar, I was going to lead worship, and the person leading the meeting just began by talking about the power and the glory of God. And I remember thinking, uh-oh, here I go. I can feel his presence. And 
Um, I just put my guitar down. I said, sorry, I can't leave tonight. Just feeling his presence. And I just wept for the rest of the night. And these encounters went on for a few years. And I believe that God was installing in me the fear of God. And I began to approach him differently. No longer was he a vending machine God up in the sky. I would pray to him and get what I wanted. But I began to realize who he really is. That he is loving and he is kind, but he's also awesome and powerful and all-knowing. And the God outside of time, the one who holds all things in the palm of his hand. And when we get an accurate picture of what God is like, it changes everything. It changes the way we pray, the way we perceive life. As we sang earlier, we worship you for who you are. We don't worship him for who he's not, but for who he is. A.W. Tozer says, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. I'll say it again. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. And so I don't know what comes to mind when you think about God, but I want us just to look at Scripture for a second and Isaiah's experience with when he, come, when he sees God. Why don't you just close your eyes? I'm just going to read Isaiah 6. It says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and lifted up, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. So here we have Isaiah who's having this vision of God. And the temple is full of smoke and it's shaking and there's thunder and there's these creatures who are covering their faces because they can't even look at God. Otherwise, they would die from his glory. And Isaiah is seeing all of this and he realizes his own sin. And he says, I'm ruined. But then the angel says, no, your sin is atoned for. And what's Isaiah's response? Send me. So when we look at the cross and we see Christ hanging there, all blooded and beaten, and all of our sin laid onto him, everything we've ever done wrong, and it was all because he loved us, our only response is, yeah, I'll serve you. I'll live for you because I'm in awe at who you are and what you have done for me. The fear of the Lord is the proper response to the display of God's love and faithfulness that he demonstrated at the cross. And as I come into land, it all comes down to love. We started with love and we're going to end with it. And we're going to have a chance to respond in a second. But following Jesus is not about keeping a set of rules or religious practices. It's about loving God and enjoying him and allowing his love to transform you. I think the reason we can feel far from God is because we lose sight of the magnitude of the cross. 
the love that God has lavished upon us and the forgiveness it has to offer that we can live with awe and wonder at who he is and what he has done. And so I want to invite you to the foot of the cross today.